evening and welcome to a special Global Town Hall. I'm Patrick Ryan, founding president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Uh, today, we are pleased to present a panel of distinguished speakers on U.S.-Korea relations among America's most important partners uh, and geostrategic allies. Uh, this morning, uh, our guest spoke in a joint program with the International Business Council here in Nashville, uh, virtually. Uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary Knapper told us the ties that uh, we enjoy with South Korea were forged in blood back in the 1950s when America and Korea fought alongside a United Nations coalition against an invasion from North Korea. Uh, indeed, I have had the experience as a Navy officer working with our Korean partners in exercises called Team Spirit in the 1980s. On one such trip, I was in Daegu, South Korea, when a surprise nationwide air raid drill began, and it drove home the sense of urgency attached to the defense against a looming nasty neighbor. American resolve in our joint defense enterprise continues down to today. But the relationship is more than national security issues. Americans' issues are also served by the economic and political relationship between us. South Korea has emerged from the ashes of war to become a global powerhouse, one of the G20 most important economies and an important trading partner with the United States. Here in Tennessee, we see substantial investment in our economy and jobs for our neighbors. Look no further than Clarksville, home of uh, Hankook Tires and LG Enterprises. So we have a lot to discuss tonight. First, let me please acknowledge those responsible for this program. The Future of Korea Project is the inspiration of the Korea Economic Institute, working with the World Affairs Councils of America, the network hub that we are proud to be a member of. Let me thank Ms. Kim Sang at KEI and Ms. Liz Brailsford and Mr. Bill Clifford at the World Affairs Councils of America. I'd also like to thank our supporting partners, the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce and Belmont University's Center for International Business. We especially thank Belmont for hosting the World Affairs Council's office, and we look forward to returning one day to that beautiful campus. The World Affairs Council also thanks our new members who signed up to join us as part of their registration for today's programs. Thanks to Brent Edwards, Liu Mo, and Sammy Arnold. Welcome aboard. Let me now thank our speakers today who have already shared their insights and perspectives with our group this morning, and they're back for more tonight. With me are Minister Young Jae Kim of the Embassy of the Republic of Korea to the United States, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for Korea and Japan, Mr. Mark Knapper, and Senior Director at the Korea Economic Institute, Mr. Troy Stangaron. We cannot have uh, hope for a more distinguished panel of speakers to talk with you tonight about the U.S.-Korea relationship. So let's get started. The Economic and Community Development Department of the State of Tennessee is responsible for recruiting business and industry to Tennessee, supporting existing companies, expanding economic opportunities across rural Tennessee, and boosting the state's overall economic prosperity. Uh, ECD Commissioner Bob Rolfe has served as uh, commissioner since March 2017. Under his leadership, ECD has increased Tennessee's global footprint. During Rolf's tenure, he has led Tennessee efforts in the recruitment and expansion of over 130 international projects, which represent an investment of $6.5 billion and 21,000 job commitments. Commissioner Rolf was not able to be with us in person today, but he wanted to make sure you and our panel were welcomed, so he recorded these comments. 
Good evening. My name is Bob Roth, and I have the great privilege of serving as our Commissioner of Economic and Community Development for the great state of Tennessee. Tonight, we welcome you to the Tennessee World Affairs Council, and I want to say thank you to Chairman Jim Shepard and President Patrick Ryan. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear from the Korean Economic Institute, who's responsible for this program. You'll also hear from the Department of State and the Embassy of the Republic of Korea. So our job at DCD here in Tennessee, specifically here in Nashville, is to recruit global companies to Tennessee. And one of our strategies is through a great initiative. Masami Tyson is our Global Director of Foreign Direct Investment. Masami is responsible for the 11 different offices across 11 different countries. Six of these offices, we have reps, foreign direct investment reps, that are responsible for telling the Tennessee story in country. In Seoul, South Korea, one of our most outstanding reps, Hee Jong Shin, is responsible for this role. And if you've not met He Zhang, you're in for a great treat. He Zhang is probably one of the very best. And He Zhang's success speaks volumes. When I think of our foreign direct investment initiatives, over the last five years, that report card reflects about 170 different international projects of companies that have come to Tennessee. I think of the 26,000 great jobs for Tennesseans and the $7 billion of private investment. And then when I think of the report card of, in, of, of Seoul, South Korea, and specifically He Jung's effort, today Tennessee is home to 40 South Korean companies employing over 4,000 Tennesseans. So for that, we say thank you. I think of the great South Korean global brands. I think of LG Electronics, Atlas BX, Hankook Tire, all great global companies, global brands from Seoul, South Korea that call Tennessee home. Now I'm sure you're wondering, well, why Tennessee? What makes Tennessee so special? And I can simply say that we are a state that is very much open for business, very low taxes, a very pro-friendly business approach, great quality of life, fine education. And then I think of the logistics, and I think of the fact that were you to come to Tennessee and manufacture and sell your product, that your product could be delivered to over 60% of the U.S. population all within one day's drive. We've all dealt with the COVID-19 global pandemic for the last 10 months, and I can tell you it's been very frustrating for us. And I say that to you because over the last four years, I've been to your great country 10 times. I worked for form, former Governor Bill Haslam and had the privilege along with He Young of hosting Governor Bill Haslam and the First Lady. And then more recently, Governor Bill Lee and Maria Lee, our First Lady. And again, He Young and I and our team had the great privilege of hosting them. So, I say to all, thank you so much for those companies that already call Tennessee home. Thank you. 
For those companies that are considering Tennessee, we look forward to either visiting with you in your home in Seoul or other parts of South Korea and also in Tennessee. We invite you to come to our, and we are hopeful that the borders will open soon and we'll have that privilege of hosting you here so that you too can understand what makes Tennessee such a pro-friendly place to do business. So tonight, enjoy your time. And again, thank you to the Tennessee World Affairs Council for allowing me to spend a few minutes to tell you a little bit about the Tennessee story with respect to our economic development initiatives. So enjoy and many thanks. Cheers. We thank Commissioner Rolfe and our friends at the Tennessee uh, Economic and Community Development uh, Department for uh, their comments tonight. Well, let's get started. Uh, first uh, to uh, present some remarks is, uh, is Mr. Mark Knapper. Uh, he is the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Korea and Japan at the U.S. Department of State. He's a member of the Senior Foreign Service of the U.S. Department of State, has served as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Korea and Japan since August 2018. Prior to assuming this position, Mark was in Seoul as Charge d'Affaires from 2017 to 2018 and Deputy Chief of Mission from 2015 to 2016. Earlier assignments include Director for India Affairs, Director for Japanese Affairs, and multiple postings in Tokyo, Seoul, Hanoi, and Baghdad. Uh, Mark, thank you for your service to America. You've been uh, in your post for two and a half years, if my math is correct, and have seen the uh, breadth and depth of the U.S.-Korea relationship uh, up close. Uh, can you start us out with uh, an overview of the relationship from your perspective, uh, what our countries have been through together and uh, where we are now. Well, good evening. Uh, thank you so much, Mr. Ryan, and thank you to the Tennessee World Affairs Council. Thanks to uh, the Korean Economic Institute, uh, KEI, for, for inviting me uh, this evening to join this distinguished panel. It's a great event. Um, I, you know, I really do love participating in these, in these kind of events because I think it's so important uh, for us serving in Washington, serving our government in Washington to be able to do outreach to uh, communities around the country and to be able to hear uh, from, from folks around the country about what, what interests them uh, in the U.S.-Korea relationship. What, what is it about the U.S.-Korea relationship that's significant? And so this really is a very special event. I'm just sorry uh, we can't do it in person. Um, we'll look forward to the time when we can. I've been fortunate to have been visited Tennessee on a number of occasions from, uh, from Knoxville to, Nem to uh, Nashville to Memphis. Uh, uh, and it's just been, I've always enjoyed myself. Um, I had the honor of serving in the Foreign Service with uh, your newest Senator, Senator Bill Haggerty, uh, when he was ambassador to, uh, to Tokyo. Uh, and I know he's, know he's doing a great job for the people of Tennessee and the people of the United States. Um, so yes, so I've, I've really, it's one of my favorite subjects to talk about the U.S.-Korea relationship. Um, I've been in the U.S. Foreign Service now for almost 28 years, and my first assignment was in Seoul in 1993. And so I guess you could say I've kind of grown up in the Foreign Service uh, working on the U.S.-Korea relationship. I've spent maybe 10 years uh, serving in our embassy there, in addition to working in Washington on, on our bilateral alliance. And for me, the most significant sort of evolution or change over, over the 
almost three decades I've been doing this is back in 93 when I first went to Korea, our, um, our relationship, our bilateral relationship was very much focused on uh, the threat from North Korea. This was an alliance as everybody knows was born uh, in the, the, the flames of war from the Korean War in 1950. Uh, we created an alliance and a security treaty in 1953. And so when I first went in, in 1993, our relationship was, was very much grounded on the peninsula, very focused on the threat from North Korea and very much a, a security or military centric uh, relationship. Well, fast forward uh, to today. Uh, of course, our security relationship remains incredibly important. Uh, we have 28,500 American troops uh, there in, in, in South Korea to uh, honor our treaty commitment to deter the threat from the North and heaven forbid defend against uh, a second invasion from the North. Uh, but, but our relationship now is so much more than just our security ties. Um, you know, Korea now is the world's 10th largest economy. Uh, Korea is the United States' sixth largest trading partner. We are South Korea's second largest trading partner. Uh, as we heard just now from Commissioner Rolf, uh, Korea is a major investor in the United States, just uh, including, uh, including in Tennessee. Uh, you know, these are world-beating Korean companies that are located there in, in, in Clarksville from Hanguk Tire to LG Electronics and others. Uh, these, these are good jobs. I, I think I heard the figure $1 billion uh, worth of, in, of investment stock in the state of Tennessee, creating uh, thousands of, of you know, good jobs for Americans. And, and the story in Tennessee is, is repeated around the United States. We've got Korean investment uh, in everywhere from uh, Hyundai Motors there in Alabama to uh, LG Chemical down in Louisiana. We've got um, SK uh, Innovation is making, uh, is building a factory for, for lithium batteries in uh, Georgia, uh, I think uh, I want to say that um, uh, you know, Samsung, everybody's heard of Samsung, is, is manufacturing uh, semiconductors in Texas uh, and, and so on. I mean, this is a, a nationwide uh, footprint that Korean companies uh, enjoy, and it's just a, a huge uh, contribution to our nation's economy, a huge contribution to our nation's employment. And as I said, these are, these are, these are good paying jobs for, for Americans and American families. And so we're very grateful. We're, we can always do better. We're always looking uh, for opportunities to promote Korean investment in the United States. Uh, certainly this is one of the, the, the uh, jobs of the, the United States State Department where I work to promote trade, to promote investment uh, between the United States and Korea. Um, but again, I mean, beyond uh, our trade and, and investment ties, beyond our, our, our security relationship, we enjoy many other uh, sort of uh, backs and forth between our two countries. Science, technology, and health is now a major area of cooperation. Uh, under COVID-19, uh, Korea, of course, was uh, very quick to, to kind of tamp down the, uh, the, the first wave and and really, uh, you know, show the world that it is possible to to fight against this pandemic without resorting to some of the um, more authoritarian uh, responses that we saw, say, in, in a place like like China. Uh, Korea fought the disease in, in a manner that was transparent and true to its democratic values, and uh, done in a way that um, really, uh, I think. Uh, showed the world that it can be done. Uh, places like Korea, Taiwan is another example, uh, New Zealand. 
And so these are, these are great examples for, for many of us to follow. Korea has been a great partner very early on. President Moon uh, pledged uh, testing kits uh, to the United States, uh, 750,000 in fact, very early uh, back in uh, March, I believe it was. And so, um, you know, this is, this is a, I mean, I think the definition of an alliance, I mean, you, you, you discover the true quality of an alliance, the true quality of a friendship in a crisis like this. Uh, we saw this uh, with our friends in, in South Korea. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that we have been able to grow our relationship over the decades is because of, of not just our shared interests, but our shared values. I mean, this is a country, South Korea, that uh, with which we share the values of democracy, we share the values of uh, respect for individual freedom, uh, respect for religious freedom, respect for uh, freedom of assembly. Um, and frankly, these values right now are, are, uh, are precious and, and under threat uh, around the world. And so I think it's, it's up to democracies like us, like South Korea, like the United States to, to stand up for these values, to stand up and, uh, and work with other partners like Japan, uh, like Australia, uh, and, and ensure that our, our shared values, our shared uh, principles um, are defended and protected and are able to thrive. Um, I think I will stop uh, there. I know we've got much more interesting speakers coming behind me, uh, Minister Kim and Troy, but I'll stop there. And of course, I'm, I'm ready to answer any questions and hear the thoughts of the folks in the audience. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Next, uh, let me introduce uh, Minister Young Jae Kim. Minister Kim is an official of the Korean Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Since December 2020, he has served as economic minister at the Embassy of the Republic of Korea in Washington, D.C. Prior to this post, he was Director General for International Economic Affairs in Seoul. As such, he oversaw Korea's participation in multinational fora such as the G20, APEC, the OECD, and the World Economic Forum including many summit meetings. Minister Kim, thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, please tell us your perspective on the commercial ties that connect America, American and uh, South Korean businesses uh, and the challenges that lie ahead to ensure that both sides benefit from our uh, commercial relationship. Well, thank you, Mr. Ryan. Good evening, Tennessee. Good evening, everyone. It's very nice to meet you all and have this opportunity to speak to you from my desk. Actually coming to you from my desk is not a blessing at all. In normal times, we would be able to come down there, breathe warmer air and meet you in person and probably enjoy some tennis whiskey. Uh, other than the common sense things like uh, the Smoky Mountains and Nashville music scenes, Tennessee whiskey is the first thing that I think of when I think of Tennessee because of this. You already know that, that Korea has a free trade agreement with the United States and all the US trade agreement has, has a special provision that reads like this. Article 2.13 of the Korea USFTA, paragraph one. Korea shall recognize bourbon whiskey and Tennessee whiskey, which is a straight bourbon whiskey authorized to be produced only in the state of Tennessee as distinct products of the United States, et cetera, et cetera. Otherwise, Tennessee is new to me. Um, so yeah. owing to this uh, Korea-US uh, FTA negotiation, I you know, get to know Tennessee better than before. 
Uh, at the outset, I have very similar sentiment with, with what uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary just, just mentioned. We in Washington DC usually deal with uh, global, national or intergovernmental issues. So sometimes I wonder what everything we are doing here means to the day-to-day -day life of people in the street or uh, to the businesses at the state or local level. For example, what is the benefit of our $1.9 trillion stimulus package or trade, trade agreement with, with a certain country? For me, my family, or to my company? It's not an easy question, but uh, this kind of opportunity to speak with uh, uh, people in the state helps remind me of the need to ensure that our works here stays relevant to the interests and welfare of the people. So with that personal reflection and caveat on my limitations, I should give you an overview of Korea's economy and its economic relationship with the United States. And hopefully what I say will relate back to everyone here. Let me start with the ranking. Again, Deputy uh, Assistant Secretary, Secretary had a, a, a spoiler, but any, anyhow, you know, we Koreans love ranking things. You know, Korean parents, parents particularly, are very interested in, in raising their children's class rank. So Korea is the 10th largest economy in the world in terms of the gross domestic product. So sometimes it is 11th or 12th, uh, depending on the situation. Our economy is more or less the same size as Russia's or Canada's. Last year, every country's economy was severely hit by the pandemic, but Korea was relatively successful in containing the virus and limited its adverse impact to the, to the economy. So that has made us in the 10th place. Our bilateral trade volume with the United States was 134 billion in 2019, according to the Korean statistics. You know, the US statistics have, have, have different numbers, but uh, despite the pandemic, this number stayed about the same in 2020. We are the United States' uh, sixth largest trading partner. The only countries ahead of us are your neighbors, Canada and Mexico, as well as, as the large economies of China, Japan, and Germany. Otherwise, no other countries have more trade volume or more important economic ties with the United States than Korea. Tennessee's primary export items include medical instruments and, and appliances, chemical products, automobiles, aircraft engines and parts, cotton and whiskey, all of which are in great demand and loved by Korean consumers. Now, when we talk about uh, trade, uh, the issue of trade balance comes up very often. It's the fact that Korea exports more goods to the United States than we import, but conversely, Korea imports more services from the United States than we export. Also, at least in pre-pandemic times and hopefully post-pandemic times as well, Korean tourists spend more traveling in the United States and Korean students particularly spend more for tuitions and living expenses. More importantly, Korean companies invest more in the United States, including in Tennessee, 
then American companies in, invest in Korea. So overall, as a result, I believe that our economic relations are both balanced and efficiently structured based on the classic comparative advantage theory. Therefore, I think our economic relations are in a very healthy status. Now, the pandemic has thrown us a new and different kind of question. Who are our reliable economic partner? Who can supply us with goods and material without trouble when we desperately need them during the crisis? At the beginning of the pandemic, countries started to close their borders and introduce export bans of essential supplies so that they, they could only be used domestically. It was just medical products. Many countries restricted the export of essential natural resources and parts and components of sophisticated products like semiconductors. Now, as vaccine production is ramping up, we have concerns about trade restrictions in their global distribution. In this context, a strong economic alliance with a reliable partner is even more important. Korea and the United States have kept our doors open to each other during this pandemic. Early on, Korea supplied many testing kits and face masks, which we manufacture. And soon, the United States is going to supply vaccines, which you manufacture here. So it's no exaggeration to say that our economic alliance is as strong as our military alliance. Uh, the last issue I'd like to touch upon is, is what our cooperation will be like after the pandemic. It's still too early, I, I, I understand. We don't see the light yet at the end of the tunnel, but we need to both dream the future and prepare for it. As you know, most governments, particularly in rich countries, have expanded their spending to help sustain people and businesses during the pandemic. We have no other option. There's, there's no problem on this. But at the same time, this big spending is not without cost. It's clearly a heavy burden to the future generation, the debt to be paid by them. So we owe it to them to spend this money wisely. For now, the consumption has not really picked up yet because we all mostly still stay home. But more worrisome is the massive liquidity from excess money flowing to stock markets and real estate. These phenomena are likely to cause a financial bubble and pose a high risk to, to the economy of the world. Instead, we would like to see the money used to increase investment to build and expand facilities rather than buy existing ones. So both Tennessee and Korean, uh, the Tennessee government and Korean government offer incentive programs to attract investment. While we compete fairly and promote investment in each country, smart and targeted investment will help our economies recover quickly and without negative impact to the future. Ironically, the pandemic provides us a, provides us a good opportunity for the future by allowing us to reboot or restructure our economy in a more sustainable and environment-friendly manner. Korea is ready to engage with the new US administration on climate change and clean and renewable energy. And I hope for more such opportunities with Tennessee in the coming years. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Kim. Uh, thank you for your frank and uh, optimistic 
words about uh, the prospects for a post-pandemic economy, uh, both here and in South Korea and, and the trade relationship. And thank you for uh, sharing with us your admiration for Tennessee whiskey. Uh, now we turn to uh, uh, our friend uh, Troy uh, Stangarone from the Korea Economic Institute. Troy is Senior Director uh, at KEI. Uh, he oversees KEI's trade and economic related initiatives, uh, as well as the Institute's relations with Capitol Hill and the Washington DC trade community. Troy also hails from the volunteer state, as you can see in his uh, background there, a nice view of uh, the Tennessee River. Uh, and he seems to know, he seems to long for the hills around his hometown of Chattanooga. Uh, and maybe Troy knows a little bit something about Jack Daniels and George Diggle whiskeys. They're not too far away from his hometown. Uh, Troy, thanks uh, to you and KEI for supporting this program. Uh, your mission of uh, promoting dialogue and understanding between American and South Koreans is presumably uh, a fairly clear path given the close relationships and uh, the history of, of these two nations. Uh, tell us how, how is that going and tell us your perspective from KEI and what we need to know about one another. Well, first off, thanks for having me. It's always great to come back to Tennessee, even if it's only virtually. Um, you know, Chattanooga is a beautiful part of the state. Um, we're fortunate to have a very great state with, you know, I went to school in Memphis, you know, Memphis is a great town. Nashville is a great town. I think we're very fortunate to be from the state of Tennessee and it's good to be back virtually and talk with you all today. You know, I think when we look at our relationship right now with South Korea, you know, this is an important relationship for the United States. It's one I think we often don't talk about because traditionally the U.S. is focused often on, you know, Europe or more recently, if you look towards Asia, you know, there might be talk about our alliance with Japan, which we get a lot of attention. Obviously, China gets a lot of attention. But we have a strong relationship as both Deputy Assistant Secretary Knapper and Minister Kim have talked about with South Korea. And I think this is still a strong relationship and an important key relationship for the United States and for Tennessee going forward. You know, when we think about the ties that bind, you know, as we've moved, you know, has Deputy Assistant Secretary Knapper said, you know, to a more broad-based relationship that, you know, has a larger economic component, you know. When you think about the types of things that you use, like you know, many people have Samsung cell phones, but even if you don't have a Samsung cell phone, if you have an iPhone or another phone, there's a very good chance that you have a South Korean made uh, memory chip in your phone. So you know, some of the basic things that you know, we all consume, we're all intertwined with our economic relationship with South Korea, and they play an important role in building that economic relationship. And that role has grown deeper. You know, Minister Kim said that right now, you know, total trade between the two countries is over $130 billion. Um, but if you look back before we signed the CORUS FTA, it was about $96 billion. So we've seen significant growth uh, since 2012 as the economic relationship has boomed under the FTA, which has taken and made it easier for US and South Korean businesses to do business in each other's country. Um, and so that's been an important stimulus to the broader economic relationship. And, you know, a lot of the great work that Commissioner Rolf and others have done to bring, you know, these Korean companies to Tennessee was helped by that FTA, which created basically the standards and the legal framework that would help give them the certainty they needed to invest in Tennessee or Kentucky or Texas or other places. And so that's played a very important role in sort of cementing and expanding and building on our relationship. But 
you know, as Minister Kim mentioned, you know, we do need to take and sort of look to the future. What will we do, you know, after the pandemic and how will we grow? And I think, you know, there's some important areas to think about as we move forward in our relationship. One, we have a very long, deep military and security ties with South Korea. And so one of the first things we need to do is take and realize how we take, and not just right now, we have ongoing talks about what's called the special measures agreement, which deals with burden sharing and resolve that quickly with our partners in South Korea. But we also need to look towards the future in terms of what is the shape of the US presence going to be in South Korea and what is the shape of the alliance. We're living in a time to where there are significant changes. We see great technological changes, not just the 5G on the commercial side, but in terms of how these types of changes will impact military hardware, artificial intelligence, what that maybe means for forces going forward how we're going to integrate that, how we're going to do it in an ethical way. And I mean, this is something that the Department of Defense, uh, if I remember correctly, last year brought South Korea and about 10 or 12 of our other partners together to try and talk, start talking through how do we take and, you know, build our militaries going forward to where we integrate these, you know, revolutionary potentially technologies, but do it in an ethical way. And South Korea has one of the world's leading tech partners is going to play an important role in helping us to all figure this out together. Um, but beyond the military and defense side, you know, if you look towards commercial opportunities and other things, right now we're living in a time to where we're also seeing significant changes, not just on the high tech side, but on the energy side. You know, a lot of countries are moving towards renewable and alternative fuels. They're exploring new uh, pathways. You know, we've talked, it was mentioned earlier about the usage of South Korean batteries, electric vehicles electric vehicles through Tesla and other things are clearly becoming more popular, but also are going to be an important part as we move forward to try and you know, decarbonize our economies. But beyond that, South Korea is taking a leading role in trying to take and develop hydrogen as a fuel source, um, specifically for vehicles and other power operations. And so how we're able to cooperate with South Korea and cooperate with other allies who are working on this type of technology as well is going to play an important role in what the future shape of the energy infrastructure, not just in the United States, but around the world looks like. And getting these decisions right over the next five or 10 years are going to be important because as countries start shifting, you know, the question is, you know, traditionally, you know, a lot of oil and petroleum came from the Middle East. You know, obviously Canada and Mexico have been important partners for the United States on this as well. But as the world's energy markets get reshaped by electric vehicles, by hydrogen, uh, by wind and solar, you know, which countries are going to take and be the leaders in these industries. You know, I think working with our partners in South Korea is important for the United States in terms of building the proper industries and making sure that, you know, we all have access to the type of technologies that we need to be prosperous in the future. But, you know, it's not just in the Alliance, a question of, you know, cooperation on security or cooperation on economics and future technology that I think we should be looking to. As we look forward, you know, one of the questions is going to be, you know, how do we take and manage the challenges that are presented to us by North Korea? And this has been a long-standing issue in our relationship. It's one that, if we're honest, Republican administrations have tried to deal with, Democratic administrations have tried to deal with, and we've all found great difficulty in dealing with North Korea and resolving this. And so one of the challenges going forward is how do we engage North Korea? How do we find a way to get them to take and step back from the nuclear program, come to talks? and benefit the North Korean population and give those people a chance to have the types of lives that many of us and the rest of the world have a chance to have. But part of that is going to be getting through this current period of COVID-19. And 
I want to take a minute and sort of talk about how COVID-19 has impacted North Korea. Um, you know, when I first started at KAI, KAI Chris Padilla was the um, Undersecretary for International Trade at the Department of Commerce. And when he would talk about free trade, he'd often talk about if you want to see what an open economy looks like and how it grows and a closed economy looks like, we have a great example in North and South Korea. And South Korea has prospered under an open economy and embracing global trade. North Korea has stagnated with its you know, closed economy and cutting itself off from the rest of the world. But when we think about the COVID-19 situation, what it's meant for North Korea, North Korea was one of the first countries and perhaps the first to close its borders to international travelers when it started coming out that this outbreak was happening in China and Wuhan. Um, they took and shortly thereafter started putting in more stringent restrictions on trade. And so what we've seen over the course of this year is that trade between China and North Korea, which accounted for probably depending on your estimate between 90 95% of North Korea's international trade dropped significantly in some months, almost down to virtually nothing. Um, for the year as a whole, um, it's down uh, almost 85 to 90%. So you've seen a significant contraction of trade and you should keep in mind too that, you know, because of North Korea's nuclear program, um, we have taken and through the United Nations and bilaterally in the United States and with our partners in Europe in South Korea and Japan also placed bilateral sanctions on North Korea. And there is very limited scope for trade that North Korea can still conduct legally. And much of that trade has now come to an, you know, a halt because of COVID-19, the closure of the border. But that's had you know, follow-on effects like we've seen in other countries inside you know, the country. Um, the USDA put out a new study uh, a couple, couple days ago um, looking at food insecurity in uh, countries around the world. And when you look at North Korea, they estimate that since COVID-19 has started and since the North Koreans have shut the border, um, basically about a million more people in North Korea are now food insecure. And so that means a total of about 62% of the population is believed in North Korea to be food insecure right now. And so when we ask, you know, sort of why, you know, this might be happening, one of the things that, you know, if you look at the North Korean trade data more specifically, uh, North Korea, for example, from China would import plastics for agriculture. And they'd use this to take and keep, you know, plants during freezes and things warm to take and, you know, help support their own agricultural output. They also would import, you know, about, you know, five to 8% of their total food from uh, China itself. And so this means that, you know, with the border closed, these tighter restrictions, much of that food that they would import that would supplement what they do grow you know, has now been cut off. And so this is why we're seeing, you know, a progressively worse, you know, humanitarian situation in North Korea. And I think, you know, the Biden administration has talked about this coming in, uh, that, you know, they need to take and try and reach out to North Korea, work on humanitarian aid. And, you know, I hope that they're able to do this. Um, you know, the last waning months of the Trump administration, the Trump administration had offered humanitarian support to North Korea. South Korea has continuously done this and North Korea unfortunately has taken and not accepted those offers to date. Hopefully that will change. Uh, but you know, I think this ties into the nuclear program issues as well because, and this is sort of where I'll end my sort of initial remarks, is one of the things that the UN resolutions call for in terms of calling for North Korea to take and you know, abandon its nuclear weapons programs and its chemical weapons programs is to take and do this for the benefit of its own people to improve their lives. Uh, and so, you know, I think while the nuclear issue is going to be a long-term one that we're going to be working on, 
um, you know, there are things right now with COVID-19 and, you know, as we go through this process that you can do to take and improve the lives of people in North Korea. And so I think, you know, that's one thing to keep in mind too, as we talk about the situation, how COVID-19 has impacted the population in North Korea, rather than just the broader situation with the regime. Thank you. Thanks, Roy. Uh, great, uh, great opening uh, collection of uh, ideas there that we'll explore a little bit more. What I'd like to do uh, now is, is start out with uh, some discussion uh, amongst us, and we'll invite the audience to uh, submit their questions. Uh, this morning, we had a, a great conversation with the International Business Council of the uh, National Area Chamber of Commerce in a, in a joint event, and we talked uh, mostly about commercial uh, business uh, relationships, uh, foreign direct investment, and so forth. So, so that we uh, don't repeat too much of that, but we want to give our uh, our audience tonight a flavor of some of that. And I'll mention that uh, for those of you who want to uh, catch that uh, webinar in its entirety, it's posted to our tnwac.org, uh, excuse me, youtube.com slash tnwac, uh, our YouTube channel. You can see the uh, that uh, session this morning. Uh, but uh, Minister Kevin, let me start with a question about uh, the foundational relationships. You talked about foreign trade uh, uh, agreements. Uh, I know the, uh, the United States was poised to sign the TPP, which was a regional uh, pact, but the, uh, the Trump administration deferred from that. And there's now something called the CPTPP, uh, which is uh, signed by a number of uh, Asian nations around the Pacific. But if you could just uh, tell us in, uh, in broader terms, what the, the basic uh, economic relationship in these uh, various uh, relationships, these uh, trade agreements, uh, what Americans should understand them to include besides uh, the chapter on uh, bourbon and whiskey? Well, it's a good question. I think uh, um, that question was, was prepared for, for our uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary for, for morning session, but uh, we, we, had, uh, we didn't have enough time. So, well, um, before we go to this, uh, what they call plurilateral uh, agreements, I have said we, Korea has as a vast uh, FTA networks. Most of them are, are bilateral. You know? We have Korea-US FTA and Korea-Canada FTA, Korea-Australia FTA. Of course, there is a, a international is called WTO, World Trade Organization. But um, the problem of this, this bilateral agreements is, 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 is uh, the fraction, fraction of trade agreements, you know, all different tariff rates for, for each import. So the, the benefits of having this, you know, plurilateral uh, a trade deal is you can harmonize better with, 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 uh, with more, more numbers of participants. Uh, but I don't know when when the new new U.S. administration will pick up the trade issue. But before we go there, let me you know, quickly check on the, the past, the trade relationship with between Korea and and the previous U.S. administration. President Trump, when he took office, first he threatened to terminate our bilateral FTA, you know, claiming the U.S. Uh, has enormous trade deficit with, with Korea. But we, both our governments succeeded in, in revising the FTA quickly. Later, President Trump praised the result of the negotiation. So the renegotiation of FTA seems to become a habit of every new 
US administration. President Obama did that, President Trump did that. I don't know whether President Biden will may or may not do this, but what, what, whichever it is, we are prepared to listen to concerns from the United States and make efforts to find a way, way forward and in, in, in mutually satisfactory way. After that, there came section 232 measure. That's a unilateral trade, trade restrictive measure on the, ground, on the ground of national security. First on steel, later automobile comes up on the table, but the decision was delayed or decision was not made. Other than that, there was not much trade, fris, trade fris, frictions between, between the United States and Korea. So what I'm talking about is basically the relationship between the US and Korea was unilateral or bilateral for the past four years. Now it's time for us to go, go forward to more broader context of, of trade treaties, regional, more comprehensive or global deal in, in, in WTO. So that's why we Korea signed on the RCEP uh, trade deal comprising 15 countries in Asia Pacific region. And then we have very, great interest in participating in CPTPP. Of course, we will consult with, with, with the United States because we want both Korea and the United States join, to join the CPTPP. So, uh, so, so we can make the CPTPP environment bigger and that will be more adaptive to, to the global trade community. Uh, an interesting prospect as uh, we look to see what the administration has in store. And let's let's talk uh, with Mr. Napper about what's uh, what's coming down the road in terms of trade agreements. The CPTPP, the U.S. Uh, is not in it. Uh, I don't know if there's any thoughts in the early stages of the Biden administration of what directions uh, U.S. trade in the Pacific might take. But Ambassador Bowers uh, asks us uh, what the U.S relationship with South Korea in terms of trade might be inside or outside of the CPTPP. Right, well, well, thank you. Uh, you know, we're, we're uh, just about one week into the Biden administration. And so uh, I think still, uh, you know, we'll still have to see sort of what direction we, we go. But I think, you know, uh, President Biden, uh, when he was running for office and then after the election and, and today is, has been very clear uh, that our focus as we approach trade in general is that to ensure uh, prosperity of the American people, to ensure the competitive, competitiveness of American industry. And so I think uh, through that lens, uh, we will we'll look at, uh, at, at trade broadly, but how we approach trade agreements, whether they're multilateral, whether they're bilateral. Um, and, you know, we'll just take it from there. I think it's going to be very important going forward, uh, you know, for us to work with our our allies and our close trading partners and, and, uh, and allies who are close trading partners like the Republic of Korea. And, you know, try to identify ways that we can deepen even further uh, our trade relationship. I think, um, you know, we heard earlier about, um, about energy. Uh, this is certainly a, a very exciting area of trade between the US and South Korea. Uh, you know, the United States, if I'm not mistaken, is among the top two or three suppliers of of uh, LNG uh, to South Korea, we're among the top suppliers of petroleum uh, to South Korea, and, and South Korea, of course, is, is a top uh, buyer, importer of, of uh, energy uh, from the United States, and, and we're very proud of this. 
Uh, we're very proud that we are a reliable and inexpensive supplier of energy to South Korea. Um, in fact, I mean, when we look at uh, our two countries' security relationship, I mean, security, we think uh, our military alliance, but if you take security and broaden it and you know, security with a capital S, I think you know, we can include things like uh, energy security, uh, that you know, Korea can, can rely on us for, for energy. Uh, and so I think energy for sure will be an area of, of bilateral trade that we hope to, to continue to expand. Um, infrastructure will be another. Digital trade is, is an exciting new area um, that we want to explore more. And so, uh, you know, I mean, right now we're, we're just, uh, we're very focused first and foremost, uh, before we look at trade or any trade agreements, uh, you know, what can we do to make investments in American workers to ensure they have the skills uh, to succeed in the 21st century in, in emerging and new industries. And, and we want to make investments in American competitors uh, before, we, before we engage on any, any agreements. But, but really it's very important uh, that any agreements uh, protect American workers, protect transparency, uh, encourage rule of law, and are also protect, uh, protect our environment. I mean, the, the environment, global environment. Thank you. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, emerging technologies. Uh, Troy, you talked about uh, 5G and uh, uh, AI and R&D, the, the issues that uh, South Korea has uh, as a competitive uh, edge on. Can can you expand a little bit on the uh, the technology issues? Are there any uh, tech transfers that are either uh, going on now or that we might look forward to, uh, perhaps uh, here in Tennessee, taking advantage? of uh, investment of uh, technology industries? So Deputy Assistant Secretary Knapper, um, you know, just mentioned, you know, thinking about security in a broader sense. And, you know, one thing, and, you know, I don't know the specific places where this will take place in the US, but um, AT&T and Verizon both have contracts with Samsung to deploy secure 5G networks uh, in the United States. So, you know, Samsung is going to be, you know, one of the key suppliers for the United States in building out 5G networks, which we will be building, you know, future technologies on. So, you know, as you talk about autonomous vehicles, um, these don't really work if you don't have the bandwidth capacity that 5G provides. Sure. Um, you know, so when we look to the future, you know, one, South Korea is going to be an important partner in building up our infrastructure uh, to take and try and have these new technologies come forward. But, you know, when we think a little bit maybe more, you know, Tennessee specific and everything, you know, right now, um, South Korea is in the process of trying to take and transition its economy to, you know, one that is much less carbon intensive. Um, they're focusing a lot on electric vehicles, um, hydrogen vehicles. And so, you know, there are possibilities there, both in terms of, you know, potential exports from Tennessee of, you know, electric vehicles, you know, from say, you know, the Nissan plant where the leaf is made to, you know, the importation of these types of vehicles into, you know, Tennessee, you know, as we take a move to try and, you know, one, you know, raise our, um, you know, miles per gallons, you know, that we get out of each vehicle, but also to transition to cleaner vehicles. So you have, you know, possibilities there. You know, I think on artificial intelligence, you know, this is a really um, sort of burgeoning field. Um, you know, Tennessee, you know, China, one of the things that, you know, I like to tell people and everything is, you know, has one of the fastest internet uh, systems in, you know, the world. And, you know, you have these opportunities for tech development in Tennessee, um, utilizing these high speed internet, you know, connections. 
but at the same time, that then means you have an opportunity to take and, you know, South Korea has deployed 5G uh, in terms of its population at a much wider scale than any other country in the world. So, you know, if you're a developer in Tennessee trying to think of a place to test a new 5G technology or something, you know, South Korea is a really kind of place you're going to want to look to go. You know, it's an early leading edge market. And so I think, you know, these are the kinds of areas and how sort of, you know, these technologies will blend. And in some cases, you might have, you know, transfers to where, for example, um, you know, LG, who is one of the leading uh, lithium battery uh, producers in the world, you know, has a plant in Ohio, uh, Lordstown, if I remember correctly. Um, and so you're going to see, I think, more of this because one of the other things too that I think we often miss in terms of our trade relationship is, is that, you know, trade is important, but also there's a lot of things like in the auto industries where it actually makes a lot of sense to build your production closer to where your consumers are. And so you're going to see more Korean investment in the United States. I assume you're going to see more U.S. investment in Korea as we try to take and deal with these you know, issues going forward. And, you know, just to sort of briefly touch uh, on the Biden administration and where they might go, there's just one sort of technical point I'd just like to make. You know, we have what's called trade promotion authority. Um, it allows the administration to negotiate trade deals. That expires um, in the middle of this year. Um, it's unclear how um, soon that will get renewed. Um, I would like to think the Biden administration will go to Congress relatively soon to try and ask for an extension. And by that, I mean sometime this summer. Um, but, you know, because trade is a constitutional prerogative of Congress, they can sort of shape what the administration's objectives are and have a strong role in shaping what that policy looks like. So I think some of this going forward, too, will depend on sort of how the administration and Congress negotiate out what the new version of trade promotion authority looks like in terms of what our future trade agreements with countries, you know, in the Asia Pacific region more broadly, whether it be the U.S. joining uh, CPTPP or other types of agreements look like. Great. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, do a couple more on uh, economics and then uh, talk to the broader uh, relationship. Uh, Minister, a question from uh, the audience. Vincent Bova asks, uh, kind of a prognostication of where trade's going over the long term. I know that uh, may be uh, not in the uh, be bringing out the crystal ball might not be uh, in, the, in, in the offing here, but uh, if, if you could just comment on uh, what the prospects are down the road. But he, he also asks uh, what, uh, what industries uh, would uh, we expect to see grow uh, perhaps in, in the foreign uh, investment uh, arena here in Tennessee and elsewhere in the US. If, if you're aware of any industries uh, outside of what we're seeing now or expanding uh, the current in industrial investment uh, here in the States and what raw materials from the U.S. is Korea interested in importing? Well, when it comes to the investment, I think most governments in the world compete each other to attract domestic or foreign investment within their jurisdiction. You just heard uh, the Commissioner Rolf about this. So I understand that Tennessee has a very good environment for doing business and provides various incentive program for investment. In particular, it was selected by a business magazine as the state with uh, the best business climate. It truly, it's a home of many global enterprises. Likewise, I am proud that Korea is ranked fifth, again, uh, ranking, ranked fifth among 100, 190 countries 
in the ease of doing business according to the World Bank annual ratings. We have one-stop service for foreign investors that helps them set up business in Korea. The Korean market is open to the international trade. And as I said, we have a free trade agreement network all around the world. And deregulation is, is the priority policy objective in every field of business. Uh, that's for doing business in Korea. And in terms of doing business with Korea, there will be also uh, ample opportunities for exporters in Tennessee because the suppressed consumption will start to pick up in the near future. And that, as Troy said, the Korean government has been rolling out ambitious stimulus package in the name of Green New Deal amounting to, amounting to uh, $60 billion. So there will be more demand in environment-friendly products, including electric cars and hydrogen cars, and then equipments and appliances uh, in the renewable energy sectors, for example, you know, turbine for windmills. Um, regarding raw materials, I'm not sure uh, whether the United States can import any raw materials from Korea because you know, every raw material trade is, is one way. We, we import you know, raw materials from everywhere in the world. So uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary mentioned LNG. Uh, you know, we were pre in the previous ad administration, we were interested in, in shale gas, but you know, day one or day two of the new administration, they just prevented uh, of fracking. So shale gas is, is, is not an option anymore. Um, so I think in terms of raw material uh, trades, I think the LNG is, is, is a uh, priority item priority trade item between the two countries. Terrific. Uh, one last uh, question on the economics. Uh, Troy, maybe you can help us with this. Uh, with respect to uh, service industries, uh, for example, legal services and healthcare services, uh, this is a question from Sean Yu. Uh, what are the, uh, the prospects for uh, those kinds of uh, industries uh, to uh, see uh, some, some growth in the uh, in the Korea-US uh, relationship after the pandemic is over? So under the course FTA, uh, we actually agreed with South Korea for them to be able to open their market to US legal services. So this is something that's been taking place. So I think, you know, once the pandemic is over, there's going to be, you know, continuing opportunities on the legal services side in South Korea. You know, on the healthcare side, you know, one of the things that we talked about this some this morning um, is that you know South Korea has an aging population. Um, it's experiencing rapid growth, uh, but it also has one of the world's um, populations with the longest life expectancy. And so, you know, when we look to the healthcare sector, uh, I'll be honest, I don't off the top of my head know the provisions um, in terms of healthcare services. But what I can tell you is that on the healthcare sector, there should be a lot of opportunities for U.S. firms. You know, Tennessee, uh, one of its top or many of its top exports are medical devices. You know, these are the kinds of things that South Korea would seem to be a very promising market for given its own demographic structure right now. And so I do think you know, in both of these areas, there are opportunities for Tennessee businesses. I have something to add about, about this, Ryan. Um, yes, as, you, as you know, the world will be divided between the world era will be divided between BC and AD. It's not before Christ and, and 
anodomini. It's a before corona and after domestication. So we have a different methodology in supplying services. You know, previously, you know, supplying services, uh, you know, it was very difficult. Either, you know, consumer moved to the provider, patients moved, uh, should go to doctors, go to hospitals, and then clients must meet lawyers. But um, after, you know, Corona, you know, all this will be done, you know, virtually like this. So we should think about the change of, of, of modes of, of, of supplying services. So by, by, by being able to supply services virtually, that means there will be more you know, trading services across the border easy, in, in an easier manner than before. So there's a transformation in the way of doing business that uh, could increase uh, the connections. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to uh, the national security arena. We have uh, roughly 30 minutes left in our program tonight. And again, thanks to our distinguished panel for joining us. Uh, in the topic of regional security issues, the 800 pound gorilla in the room is North Korea. Uh, we've seen uh, direct leader to leader negotiations between the United States and North Korea, two summits and a meeting at the, uh, at the DMZ. Um, and we are left to wonder what uh, has come of those meetings, uh, where the goal of uh, denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula stands. And uh, Mr. Knapper, I'm, I'm gonna ask you to start us off with uh, where we are and what's next in the relationship uh, between the United States, South Korea and its neighbor to the North. Sure. Well, thanks. Uh, absolutely, 800-pound gorilla or 1,600-pound gorilla. But, um, but yeah, I think uh, you know Biden administration absolutely recognizes the seriousness of the of the threat uh, that North Korea presents towards not just regional peace and security, but uh, uh, global peace and security and and the global non-proliferation regime. The the fact that North Korea flouts uh, things like the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, flouts UN. You know, countless UN Security Council resolutions, not just in terms of its nuclear program, but its illegal uh, missile program and other uh, you know, programs related to weapons of mass destruction, chemical weapons, for example. So, I mean, these all constitute threats to, uh, to peace and stability, both in the Indo-Pacific, but, but globally. And so, uh, frankly, it's in our absolute uh, vital national interest to, to ensure that uh, North Korea remains deterred uh, from, from uh, provocative behavior. Uh, our vital national interest is ensuring that we uh, stand by our ally, South Korea, that we stand by our treaty commitments, our treaty obligations, sacred obligations that we have uh, to deter and defend uh, against aggression from the North, uh, to defend our South Korean ally. And so, um, and of course, uh, you know, first and foremost, ensuring that the American people remain, uh, remain safe and secure from, from threats from North Korea, especially some of their more uh, you know, long-range uh, delivery systems that you know many of which we've seen on you know in parades over the past years, and so you know we are absolutely committed to the denuclearization of North Korea, um, but uh, you know at the same time ensuring in the near term that the American people uh, can sleep safely at night and that our allies and partners can sleep safely at night, knowing that uh, you know we are uh, standing firm in, in our deterrence posture. 
against the North. Uh, our, our military colleagues in South Korea, USFK, US Forces Korea, have a saying. They say they are ready to fight tonight. And what this means is that they are at the highest state of readiness. They are at the highest state of capabilities and training uh, with our South Korean allies, with the South Korean military to make sure that, um, uh, that, that the North remains deterred, but heaven forbid that if, if there were to be a provocation or some other act of aggression that we're ready to, uh, to defend against that. So, uh, I mean, stay tuned. It's still early days again in the administration, but, uh, but we have no higher priority than to protect the American people and to protect our, our allies in the region, whether it's South Korea or Japan. Can you, uh, can you comment on the, uh, the relationship between the United States and our, our partners in, uh, in Northwest uh, Asia, excuse me, Northeast Asia, when it comes to uh, dealing with uh, North Korea? And we had the six party talks uh, back some, uh, some time ago and we had Ambassador Chris Hill uh, talking uh, here recently about uh, his history with uh, diplomatic efforts. Uh, give us kind of the inside baseball of, of how the relationship works with between Seoul, Washington, Tokyo, and any other uh, relationships that are involved in dealing with North Korea. Yeah, well, it's it's. I think uh, it's safe to say that uh, you know we don't, um, you know, we are in absolute lockstep with our partners in South Korea and in Japan when it comes to dealing with with the North. Uh, we share information. We we. Work together on strategy and tactics uh, in terms of uh, how we approach the North. This has been true over you know several decades, and and I expect it would it would continue going forward. Um, consultations with Seoul and Tokyo are absolutely central uh, to any approach that we would we would take towards the North, given they're literally on the, the front line of this issue. Uh, but again, it's a uh, uh, I don't want to prejudice or, or, uh, or sort of presuppose uh, the next steps that this administration will take. Uh, it is, like I said. Oh, come on, you can early. make some news tonight. <laughs> nope, not me. <laughs> Look, I've, I've, I've got a kid in college, and so uh, i got to keep my job for at least a couple more years. But um, I'll, I'll leave the, the crystal balling to, uh, to Troy. But I think uh, it's safe to say that any, anything and everything we, we do as we move forward is going to involve close consultations with, uh, with South Korea, with Japan. Uh, that just goes without saying. Mr. Kim, uh, can you comment uh, on, on the situation regarding the uh, alliance and the defense against North Korea and the negotiations to denuclearize uh, the North? You know, we've had decades of uh, back and forth with uh, positive steps. And then, you know, we, we are now uh, looking at a situation where North Korea has uh, a variety of uh, ballistic missiles and developing nuclear weapons that could be carried by ballistic missiles. And uh, as, uh, as Mr. Knapper mentioned, they paraded uh, quite a collection of uh, hardware uh, in recent days. They've uh, shown a uh, prospective submarine launched ballistic missile. Uh, so from, from the, the perspective of Seoul, uh, how would you express to our audience what, uh, what the situation is regarding the North? Well, I'm not very equipped to, to answer the question. I don't have uh, much to uh, add, uh, what, uh, add to what uh, Deputy Secretary just mentioned. What I can tell you is that um, you know, uh, it's very important to, to set up a, a dialogue uh, between the US and North Korea. Um, you know, this is an early stage of new US administration. There is a rumor that um, 
North, North Korea may want to attract uh, the, the attention of the new, new administration by the means of provocation. So people, they move to such a direction, it is very important that we should approach them to set up a dialogue. It doesn't have to be bilateral. It could be trilateral, you know, or multilateral. I don't know, it's six, six party talks, five party talks that we had before. Whatever, whatever the form is, the, the, the most important, th important thing is, is, is to talk, talk to them first. So I, I guess uh, the Korean President Moon will, will speak to President, President Biden in, in the near future and they will, they will speak about this. And then I, I hope for very good, good results from the discussion. Troy, you, you look at uh, helping Americans understand what's going on in uh, Korea. Uh, tell, tell us what your perspective is on, on this national security interest that is of highest consequence to both Koreans and Americans. Uh, I think I'll start off first just, and I feel like I can say this because it's in the public domain. Um, Kurt Campbell, who is going to be the Asia czar for the administration, has said publicly that he believes that um, they can't wait uh, on dealing with North Korea has happened under the Obama administration. They need to do something early. Now, how early that means for him and everything is still open to debate because there are other challenges the administration faces. But so I do think there is a prospect for some type of engagement with North Korea early on based on those public comments. Um, but, you know, I think for us, you know, the situation right now, we've seen over the last few years where North Korea was able to take and develop um, the capacity to use ICBMs to reach anywhere in the continental US. There are still technical aspects that they haven't demonstrated such as re-entry. Um, so there are still questions about how effective those weapons would be. But I think, you know, from a practical standpoint, we need to look at this as something to where they have achieved most in that, you know, of their goals and that we need to take that, you know, with the seriousness that comes with it. But if you look at what they're doing, this isn't just simply a question of trying to gain the ability to take a strike to the United States. If we look at some of the things that were in the parade earlier this year, some of the things they've done in recent years, you know, they're looking to try and build basically their own version of a nuclear triad. They're testing submarine launch ballistic missiles, which one would believe, you know, they'd look to take and eventually put a nuclear weapon on. Um, they're looking to switch over to having basically um, solid fuel rockets rather than the liquid propelled rockets they have right now. Um, all of these things would harden basically the ability of the United States, South Korea, and Japan in a crisis to take out their weapons before they could be able to use them. So this is a growing problem, one that we need to address. And there are increasingly multiple components to it. But I think one of the things that we don't talk a lot about because, you know, the nuclear issue gets a lot of attention. You know, it's understandable. Um, we know how, you know, devastating a nuclear weapon can be. But you know, the cyber side is actually a real present danger. The WannaCry uh, virus uh, a few years ago was done by North Korea. Uh, North Korea takes and, you know, hacks into or attempts, you know, literally, you know, tens of thousands of attacks on South Korea each day. Um, you have a situation to where North Korea has hacked into banks to steal money. They've hacked into recently, it's been believed, um, companies that deliver COVID-19 to try and learn more about the vaccine delivery process. Um, you have a situation to where they use things like cryptocurrency to take and move money without being traced within the financial system. 
which they are banned from using under UN sanctions. So, you know, the nuclear weapons are an important issue that we need to deal with. But when we talk about the dangers of North Korea, the present everyday danger is on the cyber side, I believe. Um, yeah, I, I agree. It's not a question of, uh, uh, of if, but when, in terms of the technolo technological development. Let's uh, let's look uh, at at policy from South Korea's perspective. We have uh, strong relations with uh, Japan, uh, and we have uh, interests with uh, rising China and the uh, um, the competition uh, focus there. Uh, I'll, I'll toss this question out for whoever wants to answer it. I don't want to uh, pin anybody down with uh, this particular one, but let's let's talk about the uh, the trilateral U.S. Korea Japan relationship. What what should we know about the uh, health of uh, of that of that system? Troy, do you maybe you can uh, start us off? Yeah, you know. The trilateral relationship is an important one. You know, if we look at the U.S. posture in uh, the North uh, Pacific, the contingency for an attack by North Korea on South Korea is the U.S. troops in Japan. So the defense of South Korea is integrated into our alliance with Japan, and the both countries' defense are really tied together in that sense. Um, but beyond that, you know, this is a relationship that's important for other reasons as well, not just the security issues you know, related to North Korea. This is a relationship to where there are strong um, technological ties between all three countries, and that plays an important role. All three countries are significant you know, players in the international community. So when we're talking about standards and organizations, when we're talking about the development of you know, new technologies and what those standards should look like, when we're talking about cooperation on healthcare and things, all three of these countries are important partners for each other in dealing with these types of issues going forward. And so, you know, it's one relationship to where there has been tension in the past and everything. And, you know, that is something that we'll have to deal with, but it's an important, you know, trilateral relationship for the United States. And it's an important relationship, I think, for all the parties involved. Mark, let me uh, add on to this uh, discussion topic, a question from uh, Sawa Saba, who's a member of our board here at the Tennessee World Affairs Council. And she asks, what areas of cooperation or opportunities exist in mending the alliance between Japan and Korea, given the, the frictions of the past? And, and what role can the new administration have in promoting the alliance? Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what Troy said. I mean, uh, in some ways, I mean, there's no more important relationship to the United States than the relationship between uh, South Korea and Japan. And uh, frankly, um, you know, the, de the, the deterioration in relations between the two uh, is, is regrettable. Um, and I think the Biden administration, uh, in addition to being committed to improving our relationships with allies, uh, is also committed to helping uh, you know, individual allies improve the relations be between themselves. In this case, of course, uh, the South South Korea and Japan. And so, uh, you know, I think we're gonna we're gonna going forward. We're gonna look for opportunities um, to 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 uh, strengthen our our the relations among our countries, but between them as well. And so, I think obviously one obvious way is is to to try and uh, reinvigorate our cooperation on North Korea. Uh, this is, I think, the most obvious area for trilateral cooperation and trilateral coordination. But, um, but there, there are any number of other ways I think we can 
we can expand our, our cooperation trilaterally. Either it's uh, dealing with COVID-19, um, climate change is another obvious area of, of trilateral cooperation. Uh, Troy mentioned uh, cyber cybersecurity, threats coming out of cyberspace, uh, another area in which Japan, the United States, and South Korea can and should be able to work together, um, and, and promoting uh, the strength of our democracies and promoting uh, the values we share. I'm you know, going back to something I said at the very beginning, uh, as, as fellow democracies, as fellow uh, liberal societies, societies that put great uh, importance on things like religious freedom, basic freedoms like freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, I think we owe it not just ourselves, but to others, uh, not just regionally, but globally, uh, who may be struggling with challenges to their, their freedom and their principles, um, democratic values that uh, we, we uh, as, as, as developed strong uh, democracies, we should be looking for ways to, uh, to ensure that others around the world um, you know, don't, uh, don't have their, their values and their systems undermined. Uh, but this is something I, I, I know that the Biden administration and my new boss, uh, Tony Blinken, uh, our new Secretary of State, um, is very committed to, and I, I know that uh, going forward, we're going to be very busy and I think quite uh, energetic in looking for ways to, again, improve the relationship between and among our three countries uh, to try and create uh, a relationship between Seoul and Tokyo that is, is more productive, more constructive, uh, and, and one that, uh, that benefits all of us. I mean, this is uh, a strong Japan-South Korea relationship. It, it's intrinsically very important, but you know, we also think it's very selfishly very important uh, to us in the United States and is very important for our national security, just as we believe it's important for the security of, of both Seoul and, and Tokyo. Well, we hope for success in that area. Minister Kim, um, for those who may not know the, uh, the economic relationship between uh, South Korea and China, can, can you characterize uh, briefly uh, what the relationship is there and perhaps put that in the context of the trade difficulties between China and the United States. How, uh, how do uh, the three uh, view the, the relative merits of each other's uh, relationship with one another? Well, first of all, um, geographically, we are very close to China. And then um, fortunately or unfortunately, China is, is a big opportunity for us and then and at the same time, uh, we, our economy is, is too much dependent on, on China. So if, if there's something wrong with China, there is there's a you know, big disaster for Korea. Um, maybe uh, a quarter of, of our international trade, uh, uh, the, in terms of finished products, a quarter of, of our international trade depend, depend on China. If we count on uh, semi-finished uh, you know, semi uh, 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 products, or raw materials, it's, it's bigger than that. So the, the Korean government's aim to diversify our economic relationship to, to other countries, uh, in particular, you know, uh, Southeast Asian countries. So we, we have a, a brand name, a policy that, that's, that's called a new Southern policy. So we are trying to expand our economic relationship with, with Vietnam, Indonesia, and, and other countries. Um, the tension between between the U.S. and China. First of all, um, you know everybody is, is is worried about about this. You know there must be uh, some good way forward uh, for this, because Korea is is depend dependent on on both countries. We cannot take sides. We would like to 
avoid, uh, you know, in, in any way, if we need to take take side, you know, you know, we have to do this. But um, until then, we don't. We would like to avoid the situation that that we have to take sides. So we would like to have a very good solution between between the, the two giants, so they can so that not only Korea but also the global community can can ha have a, a more you know predictable future in 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 the trading environment. Thank you for that, and uh, I, I can understand the desire for uh, harmonious relations. It it, it is uh, geographically a. a Convenient or inconvenient uh, position to be in. Uh, we're uh, we're closing in on the, the end of our session here, and I have about a half hour more worth of questions here, so uh, uh, we uh, we won't get to them. But let me uh, close out our national security uh, with uh, one question on the mil U.S. military presence in South Korea. Uh, there have been uh, questions in the last administration about burden sharing, uh, the uh, the cost of uh, putting up uh, the troops that. Uh, the U.S. Uh, provides to aid in the defense of uh, South Korea. And one question we have from Rachel Kirsch, who I understand is an intern at the uh, KEI. So uh, uh, Troy probably uh, knows Rachel. Rachel asks, how will the U.S. ROK cost sharing negotiations be impacted by the Biden administration? Um, Troy, uh, uh, I'll, I'll leave you off this one and we'll ask uh, the uh, uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary, who has yet to make news for us tonight, so maybe we can get something here. Well, with with five minutes left, I'll, uh, I'll do my best not to not to. But uh, that's okay. a good question, and I think um, you know the, the, we've been dealing with this issue now for for quite a while. Uh, we refer to it as SMA or Special Measures Agreement, which refers to the uh, the mechanism by which the U.S. and South Korea uh, calculate. Uh, sort of how we share the, the costs of, uh, of of stationing U.S. forces in Korea, and and it's it's interesting. I just a real kind of a divergence. I mean, for many years we've referred to this as burden sharing. Uh, what is you know burden sharing, whether it's with you know Germany or, or, or Japan or or maybe South Korea in this case. And and you know to be honest with you, I mean it's not a burden. I mean these are <laughs> we these are allies uh, you know to which we we owe a, a, a tremendous. Uh, Obligation and one that we take freely, and and so I, I don't like the, the term burden sharing actually because it implies this is some onerous task that we uh, we do unwillingly. Uh, it's not. It's it's one in which uh, we benefit greatly from our alliance relationships. We benefit greatly from having uh, you know fellow democracies standing together as we do with with South Korea and Japan. So um, so yes, I mean so reinvigorating and strengthening these alliances is a hallmark, uh, a key. Uh, policy uh, sort of platform of the, the Biden administration. And so I think um, without sort of uh, prejudicing the approach that the administration is gonna to take to these very technical um, you know, and sensitive negotiations, I think it's safe to say we are gonna look at, at these, these uh, negotiations like the SMA with Korea through the lens of you know, how do we strengthen our alliance with South Korea? How can we ensure that these uh, negotiations and hopefully the ultimate agreement uh, strengthen our alliance, strengthen our two countries' uh, capabilities, joint capabilities, uh, and how do these how do these negotiations and uh, you know the agreement they yield ultimately benefit our our two peoples? And so, uh, not much of a an answer, I'm afraid, but it's uh, it's one I think hopefully it's going to be a you know it's going to be a process informed by a very strong commitment to 
strengthening our alliance relationships. Something that uh, needs to be taken care of and, and sounds like will be addressed. Well, let's, let's uh, give uh, you all a, a minute to uh, make some closing remarks and I'll, I'll toss in a question here and, and you can incorporate that into uh, the time that each of you uh, have remaining. Uh, Mr. Knapper, you've represented the United States in lots of places around the world and uh, including South Korea. Uh, tell us uh, what it is about South Korea that you found special uh, that you'd like to share with those who have yet to visit? And then any other closing comments you have? Oh, I don't know, where do I begin? I think I'm gonna need another <laughs> 30 minutes. Um, no filibusters. No, I think it's just, uh, as I said at the very beginning, I mean, the way this, uh, the way our alliance has, has, has evolved, the way our friendship has evolved uh, in the time I've been working on Korea, almost 30 years, I think really, is, is, is gone hand in hand with how Korea itself has evolved from a country, as you said, uh, you know, emerged from the ashes of war to become this world beating economy, a country that has had, uh, I mean, just in the last year and a half alone, I mean, you've had Korean K-pop stars at the top of American music charts. You've had a Korean film win the best picture among many other awards you've had um, over the past years, a Korean was the secretary general of the United Nations. I mean, it's on and on. I mean. This is a country that punches way above its weight. And it's been a real pleasure to, to be able to work on this alliance, to work on this friendship, to, to uh, see the country and our friendship evolve over, over 30 years. And I'm just uh, honored to be able to do it every day and looking forward to the next 30 years and how, how our relationship's going to grow. And so I'm, uh, you know, I consider myself a um, uh, sort of, a, I don't know what's the word is proselytizer. Uh, for this alliance, and which is why I enjoy, you know, doing these events uh, like today's with with the Tennessee World Affairs Council so much because it, it does give me a chance to speak about how important this relationship is uh, to the United States and to our our current and future prosperity. So I'll just close by saying thank you once again, and uh, hope to do this in person sometime soon. You bet. We're looking forward to that, Mr. Stangarone. Uh, if this could be an open-ended question, but let, let's try to keep it brief. Uh, what's ahead in the near and midterm for our economic relationship and your approach at KEI? What what one thing do you uh, would you like to see uh, uh, between our countries? Well, you know, I think going forward, what I'd like to see, we've you know, as mentioned earlier, we had additional negotiations under the Obama administration on the Core FTA. We renegotiated Chorus under uh, the Trump administration. So I think some stability would be nice. There's still some things. Uh, that we need to address as, you know, uh, Minister Kim mentioned the 232 issues and everything. But I think largely stability that will allow our economic relationship to grow rather than to constantly take and sort of try to re-examine that relationship. So that way we can build together on working internationally rather than focusing on the bilateral side. And just briefly, I'd like to say, you know, sort of echoing really, I think Deputy Assistant Secretary Knapper's uh, comments, you know, I think one of the amazing things about South Korea is how dynamic society is. If you think about how South Korea has changed since the end of the Korean War to today, it has gone through more change and more evolution and more growth and more dynamism than perhaps any society on the planet. And it's still a very dynamic society. And I think seeing that engaging with people like that who are changing their society, their life, their technology, everything so much is very invigorating. Great, thank you. Uh, Mr. Minister, uh, just a personal aside, uh, when I was in Seoul a long time ago, uh, my wife and I were shopping in Itaewon, 
and uh, we placed an order with a tailor. Uh, unfortunately, our bus tour from uh, Pusan, where I was visiting on a ship, had a change of plans and we couldn't return to the shops. And somehow the shopkeeper tracked us down in Seoul and delivered our order to the bus at one of our stops. I don't know how, what intelligence sources he had, but uh, he was very good. But I, as a native New Yorker, uh, I had pretty much given up on ever seeing our order uh, again, uh, being a, an eternal skeptic. But I was delighted to learn about the generosity, the honesty and the kindness of all the people in South Korea that we met. Uh, what about the Korean people and your country would you like to share with our audience in your closing comments? So they have tracked your location. You know, there is a controversy in, in Korea uh, in, in, in coping with, with, with COVID-19. We trace people's movement. There is a privacy issue, but I, I, I hope you are not, you are not uh, offended by, by this. Well, it's, no, <laughs> well, it was uh, very nice to, to talk with you. It's uh, my deep appreciation for, uh, for your invitation. Um, it's quite a nice surprise to have found, for me to have found so many people are interested in, in international affairs uh, that, that we are doing, especially the Korean issue. And as uh, two of the speakers have said, I look forward to another such opportunities in person, probably in, in Nashville next time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Let me again thank Minister Young J. Kim, Deputy Assistant Secretary of State, Mark Knapper, and uh, Troy Stangerone, the Senior Director at KEI. Thanks again to KEI and the World Affairs Councils of America for organizing uh, this terrific program that we were able to bring to our friends here in Tennessee. And thanks to you for joining us with your terrific questions. Uh, let me remind you the, to visit uh, tnwac.org to become a member of this special organization and to make a gift to support our programs. And with that, we are adjourned. Thank you all and good night.